All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our Sunday service. My name is Thomas. I'm part of staff here at our church. Um, again, for those of you who are part of our vision of reading scripture, we invite you to join us. Uh, our Bible reading plan so far, we've mainly been reading through the Psalms and been watching videos. Uh, but this week, we're actually going to be start doing the reading through the New Testament. And so it's not too late to sign up. And I hope that you can join us. And again, all you parents, I really recommend you picking up those Bibles. Uh, I don't know about you, but I used to always read the Bible to my kids. Um, and that was just chaos. Uh, but when my kid, uh, Judah, he turned, uh, he's now six. No, he's seven. He's now seven now. Uh, we gave him his own Bible to read. And like, he's just been reading that thing. Like, he's so curious. He's always carrying it around. I'm like, you're a pastor's kid now. Like, it's crazy. Wait till you get to the book of Judges. This can get crazy, Judah. And so, you know, it's, I really, you know, encourage the parents. Uh, there's something about giving your child their own Bible and, you know, they might respond to it or not, but some type of ownership that's there is just really encouraging to, to see. So please grab one if you are parents. Um, and for everyone else, uh, just welcome again. We are going through a sermon series uh, called Rescripture. And our goal is um, we want to be a church that's just not known to be kind and worshipful, which is all great things, but also like our, this church, they read the scriptures. They don't just desire it, but they actually do it. And uh, we've been spending, though, the past few weeks talking about the scriptures and what they are. We don't want to presume anything. And we've been asking a couple of questions. Uh, the part one, the first question we asked is, well, what is the Bible? And we just want very basic. We want to deconstruct what people would think the Bible is and just define what the Bible is. And then the next part, we talked about why do we need the Bible? Like, why should we spend every day trying to read this thing? Last week was a little crazy where we said, well, can we trust the Bible? And, you know, a lot of reasons why it might be hard to trust the Bible. And so we kind of tackled that as much as possible. Uh, today, we're going to tackle what I think might be the most important question, which is, well, what's the purpose of the Bible? Like, well, what's the whole point of this thing? And so to answer that question, we're going to read from two passages, uh, one from 2 Timothy 3 and the other from Matthew 22. And if you're new to our church, one thing we like to do is when we read some, a passage from Scripture, we like to rise and recognize that we believe in a God who speaks and is living when we read the Scriptures. So can we all rise together and we'll read these two passages. So 2 Timothy chapter 3 starting in verse 14, and then we're going to jump over to Matthew 22. The Apostle Paul, starting in verse 14, he writes this. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And then we're going to skip over to Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. It writes, When the Pharisees heard that he, referring to Jesus, that he silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This is the reading of God's word. Would you all join me in prayer before we begin our time? 
Lord, would you speak today? And I pray for everyone here that we could really learn and ponder what you are trying to say, but most especially uh, what it is, this book that you give to us, O oh God. So bless this time together today. We your spirit move. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. There is a movie that came out in the 1980s that I'm sure this is the wrong crowd to bring it up to because most of y'all, you don't probably know this movie, but just in case you do, there's a movie that you should consider watching. It's called The Gods Must Be Crazy. Anyone hear that? Yeah, nobody, right? Cult classic. Uh, the, the whole plot of the movie, the first scene, what happens is there's a guy flying in an airplane, and as he's flying in an airplane, he's drinking a Coke in a glass bottle, and when he drinks the Coke and he finishes, he throws the bottle outside the airplane, and unbeknownst to him, it falls all the way down into a de- uh, de- the desert in Africa, and this native person finds this glass bottle, and he thinks it's a gift from the gods. He's like, what is this thing? Because he's never seen it before. The gods must have given it to us. And so he gets this glass bottle, and he brings it back to his tribe. But nobody knows what it's for. They're like, what is this gift that the gods gave to us? And so some of them notice that the bottle, it's really hard. And so they began using it as a tool where they would break things and help them cook food, and that's what they thought the bottle was. Some of them, they blew into it, and they noticed, oh, when you blow into this glass bottle, it makes sound. So they thought it was an instrument, and they started using it to play for their songs. One time, though, a person threw the bottle into the air, and it fell on a little girl's head and hit her, and so she got injured. And so that freaked everybody out, because they're like, oh my gosh, this is a weapon. It's very dangerous. And so nobody knew what the purpose of this bottle was, hence the title of the movie, The Gods Must Be Crazy. And they end up just burying this bottle, because they didn't know what to do with it. And the reason why I bring up this movie is because I feel like for many of you who grew up in the church, the Bible entered into your life kind of like this glass bottle. Your parents or your pastor, they came, they gave this to you, they said, this is God's word. And you have this, but you are never really taught what it's for. What do you use this for? What ends up happening, though, is you're trying to be a good son or a good daughter or a good Christian, so you try to read this thing every single day, but as you keep reading it, again, you don't know why you're doing this, and at one point, you just kind of, like those natives, you just bury this away. It's just there, and it's gone. And that leads to the question which we're going to talk about today, well, what's the purpose of the Bible? What is the purpose of reading this thing? Like, when you read this, what's it supposed to do to you? Imagine if you read the entire Bible every year for 10 years. Let's say every year you read the entire Bible and you do that for 10 years. What's supposed to happen to you? What kind of person emerges from a life like that? How you answer that question, the vision you have, probably answers what you think the purpose of the Bible is, what it's supposed to do to you. So today, what I want to do is I want to talk about together, well, what does the Bible have to say about what it's supposed to be for? What is it supposed to do for you if you read it? And to answer that question, we're going to talk about three big questions. Uh, And unlike past sermons, I'm not going to lay out the questions right away. I'm just going to throw it out one by one as we go into the message. So the first question we're going to tackle is, well, what is the purpose of the Bible? What's the point of this? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 17 talks about this. This letter that we just read, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to his protege, Timothy, 
because false teachers are coming, they're influencing the church. And so Paul, he's reminding Timothy, remember what you believe in and remember like who influenced you. And so look what he says in verse 14. But as for you, Timothy, continue what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it from and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Timothy, he, did not, he knows the Bible, he's familiar with it, but he didn't read it by himself. His mom, his grandmother, and Paul, they helped Timothy get acquainted with this thing. That's how he kind of learned about the Bible. And in a similar way, for a lot of us here, you don't just get this Bible and read it, but a lot of people, they kind of helped us grow acquainted with this. Whether it be your small group leader, whether it be the Christian club you're a part of, a lot of people have modeled reading. A lot of people have done reading with you. And so when you look back at all those models and how people read and now how you read the Bible, how would you say the purpose of the Bible is for your life? And I think it's very similar to that movie, The Gods Must Be Crazy, You could tell what the purpose is for you by how you read it. Like, what are you trying to do when you're reading this Bible? And so for some of us here, some of us, when we read the Bible, we read it mainly for information. Meaning that I read the Bible to understand what the passage is saying. So you open the text and you go, what's what's Paul trying to say? What's the historical context? What's the main point? If you're a seminary nerd, you might break down outlines and so forth. And if you read the Bible that way, where you're trying to figure out primarily, well, what is it trying to say? Then the purpose of the Bible for you is to learn something. To learn something about God or about this world. And if you do that, awesome, successful Bible reading. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's the only way you read the Bible, that's the only purpose you have, it's going to feel really dry at one point. It's going to feel like a textbook because it's just information. That's that. And that's best case scenario. Worst case scenario is you learn so much, you become prideful, where you feel like you know the Bible better than everybody else. That's if we read the Bible for information. For others, it might be different. You're not information, but it's all about instruction. You're the type of person where you don't care what I'm saying right now, just tell me what to do. Tell me what to do to fix my marriage, to fix my life with my, with my girlfriend or boyfriend or so forth, and you want an inspiring verse to inspire you for the day, or you want to tell me like how does God want me to live my life. And so for you, the purpose of the Bible is to instruct you on how to live your life. That's the purpose for a lot of us. And again, nothing's wrong with that. The Bible tells us many things of what to do. But the problem with that is, if that's the main and only purpose of the Bible— you have a hard time with a lot of parts in the Bible. What do you do in Leviticus when it's chapter after chapter describing the measurements of the tabernacle? That has nothing to do with you. It doesn't tell you what to do. So you know what we do? We just ignore those parts. And we have this condensed Bible that we just read from. Some of us is information. Some of us is instruction. And here's the tricky one. Here's the one I think gets a lot of our church people. You read the Bible, not for just those two, but as a discipline. As a discipline, meaning I have a Bible reading plan. There's a checkoff list. I'm going to check it off. And I don't even know what I'm reading. Like I'm reading, I don't know what's going on. But thank God I did it. At least I did it. You check it off. And you know what happens? You feel good about yourself. It's like, oh, I'm, I feel spiritually healthy. And it's kind of like, you know, when you go to the gym, like, I don't know about you, but sometimes I go to the gym, I'm barely lifting, but like, I went to the gym. It's better than most people. And I'm happy about that. And again, Nothing's wrong with that. You need discipline to read something, to do something. Totally get it. But if you're like me, when I make these resolutions, I got to go work out. I go hard, and after a month, I stop. 
because that's all it is. It's a discipline. It's to make me feel good. And so some of us, you read the Bible, it's a discipline, and you go hard, but you stop after a while because that's all it is for you. So for a lot of us here, using the Bible, we use it for information, for instruction, for discipline. And just know when you do that, it's like using that glass Coke bottle as a tool, as an instrument, as a weapon, which is you can use the Bible that way. And it does work that way. But if that is the only way you are using the Bible, that's the only way you're reading it, you are missing the entire point of why God gave you the Bible. Matthew chapter 22, verse 29, Jesus, he rebukes people who read the Bible saying like this, quote, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. And he's talking to these religious leaders saying this. You could have read the Bible inside out and there's a chance that the entire time you are not using it the way you're supposed to. So what is the purpose of the Bible? What is the Bible supposed to do to you when you read it? And this is where verse 16 gets interesting. Look what it says in verse 16 of 2 Timothy. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. It's very fascinating. Certain things should be happening when you read in the Bible. It involves information, teaching. That's what Paul says. It involves instruction, all you application people, reproof, correction. And it involves discipline, training. Those are all good things that we use the Bible for but they are a means to an end. They are not meant to be an end in themselves because Paul, notice he keeps going. All of these things go together for verse 17. Look what it says. That the man of God may be what? Complete. This word complete, it's an interesting Greek word, artios. It's the only time in the New Testament that this word appears. And it means uh, something that's perfectly suited to its nature. The ideal example of something. So, for example, if I went to the market with my son and I said, let's get some apples for the home, and, you know, my son, he'll probably just pick any apples, and let's pretend he picks, like, these squishy ones and these brown ones, and, like, no, 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 not those apples, and, like, grab an apple that's nice and smooth and firm, go, this apple, this is the artios. This is complete. This is the ideal example of what an apple should be. That's what the word means. And so what Paul is telling us is that the purpose of the Bible, it's meant to make you into a person who is the ideal human, most true version of what a human being is supposed to be. It is meant to, in other words, mold you and shape you, not just where you're learning, but, or another way to put it is it's not just information or instruction or discipline, but you know what the Bible is meant to do? It is formation. It's meant to shape and form you to be the, the person that God envisioned you to become. That's what the Bible is for. It trains you. It corrects you. It rebukes you. It teaches you to become the person that we're meant to be. And God, he gives the Bible to help that as a tool. And if this is the purpose of the Bible, our formation, it's meant to shape you. There's an implication that we could take away from this. This helps explain why the Bible reading uh, it doesn't feel like much day-to-day, but it takes a long time to really do something to you. Uh, there's a picture I want to show you. It's a picture of uh, Jimi Hendrix. Uh, it's on the slide up there. That picture, it's drawn by an artist named Nikki Duwait. I think that's how you pronounce her, her name. And you look at that, you go, oh, that's a nice picture. It looks cool. That you must be talented. But what's actually crazy about this picture is it's not drawn with uh, ink. It's a bunch of um, punch holes that she put together. 
So you know, like when you, when you three-hole punch something, it's all these little circles? All this are the punch holes. That's how she drew this picture. That's how she glued it all together. And, you know, people, when they, in an interview, they asked her, well, why, why do you do that? Why don't you just draw it? And she's like, I want to create two experiences for people where when you look up close, it's chaos. You just see a bunch of circles. But zoom out what you see, this beautiful tapestry where her hard labor day by day takes her, takes her hours, thousands of hours to put this picture together. And you see this beautiful image that she's working on. This is what Bible reading is doing. It doesn't feel like much day by day. It feels sometimes a little crazy. But after a year, 10 years, you step back and you realize something is being formed. Something is happening in the midst of that. Now, I'm not saying every time you read the Bible, something happens. But what I'm saying is it has the potential to shape you in different ways. Because the Bible claims it's not like any other book. Because notice Paul, in verse 16, he describes it as what? God breathed. Something about this book that the Spirit of God was with the authors when they composed it together. And when we read this, the Spirit of God is with all those who read it. We're going to talk about that a lot more next week when we answer the question how to read the Bible. But realize that the Bible, with the main purpose of it, is the Spirit of God having us be formed as we read it, detail by detail, little by little. It is supposed to form us, which begs the question, what is it supposed to form us into? What is God trying to do with us through the Bible? And that's the second big question. What is the Bible forming us into? And to answer that, we have to look at Matthew chapter 22. Jesus, he's being confronted by all these religious leaders, and they're discussing with them, you know, hey, what's, going, what's your view on different things? Because Jesus, he's a, he's a Jewish rabbi. I know a lot of times we think he's God, but, you know, in the first century, everyone saw Jesus as a rabbi. And he's teaching some crazy stuff about the Torah, the meaning of the Old Testament. And it was really controversial because Jesus, he acted like he really knew what he was talking about. He's like, this is what it says. And so the rabbis, what they decide to do is they decide we're going to test Jesus with a really tricky question. Look at verse 34 of Matthew 22. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, this question is not random. Back in the first century in Jesus' day, this was a big debate amongst all the Bible nerds because there are 613 commands in the Old Testament. Of all those commands, which one matters the most? That was the big debate of the day. And Jesus, being a rabbi himself, he responds not just by saying what's the most important command, but he goes a step further. What's it all about? What's the entire point? And look what he says in verse 37. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting two passages, Deuteronomy 6.5, Leviticus 19. He says, these two passages pay attention to, and then he drops a bombshell, the last line. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. You know what Jesus is saying? Not only are these the most important commands, but the entire Old Testament, all the laws of God, and the prophets, the entire Bible. You could summarize it with two phrases. Love God, love people. Here's another way to look at it. You know, when you read the Bible, 
and you see it, you're going to see all these random passages in the Bible. Like you're, you turn to Exodus, you turn to Genesis, you turn to Leviticus, you go, what's this all about? And these seem like kind of these random stories that are kind of there. And Jesus says, they all hang together. If you want to know what it's about, just two simple things. Love God and love people. That's what those passages are about. One rabbi, he summarizes like this, quote, the Bible is about loving God first and neighbor second. Everything else is commentary. Everything in the Bible is just trying to tell you in specific ways how to do one of those two things. That's the whole point. So if you put those two together, 2 Timothy 3, Matthew 22, what is the purpose of the Bible? The answer would be as simply as the best way I could put it is this. Here's the answer. The purpose of the Bible is to form you into the kind of human God always envisioned you to be. Someone who loves God and someone who loves people. That's the entire point. That's what God's trying to do. Now, why is this the purpose of the Bible? Because as Christians, we believe that we were made in the image of God, and that God that we are made in the image of, he is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 says it like this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God, he is love. In other words, God, he gave us the Bible so that when we read it, the Spirit is forming us so we can be more like him, like love. Now, if this is true, if the Bible's purpose is to teach you, to instruct you, to correct you, and to train you to love God and to love others, there are two things we should consider. Number one is this. If you are reading your Bibles, but you are not growing in love for God or love for people, there's something wrong with the way you're reading your Bible. Have you ever met these super Christian-y people where they read their Bibles, they memorize it, they could spit verses at you, and they're like the meanest people you've ever met? They're so mean. It's like, it's crazy how angry they are how like, you know, ferocious they are. I mean, you might have encountered people like that. I do. They tend to be on the conservative side. And it's, the irony is, if you talk about anything else, the weather, hobbies, family, they're so nice. But once you talk about the Bible, dude, something changes. Where all of a sudden their sword comes out and they're like, oh, you were talking about God, huh? And they just get really harsh. And when you read that, it's like, when you meet people like that, you're like, what is going on? And it's like, that's so bizarre. Or have you ever met somebody where they know their Bibles, they have a systematic theology, they really understand, like, John, they quote John Owens, they quote John Calvin, they just have it all together, but then how's your prayer life? They don't pray. How is God speaking to you? I don't know. I just read John Owens. It's like, what? Like, their relationship with God is really wonky. And that's where you, it makes you have to pause where you realize, you know, someone's reading, if you're reading your Bible, and it makes you look down on people more frequently, where you just judge people more frequently. Oh, that person, they're not at church today. Oh my gosh, that person, did that and read their Bible? Like if that's like kind of the attitude that's growing in you, reading your Bible, or if you're somebody, you go to every church, you go, oh, you're just really skeptical. Like this isn't like my church, man, the music, what's all this? Like this just kind of makes you judge every church in a different way. Or you're on social media and you're just like angry. Like I need to defend truth, man, because people don't know. And that's kind of just like the spirit that's there. I really believe Jesus would look at you and say, you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. You're not reading it right. The Bible is supposed to produce love. 
love and graciousness, love towards God, and love towards people. And I'm not talking like this hallmarky, like nicety, like I'm just nice to everybody. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your ability to have compassion on people, to practice empathy, to practice service. That's love. And that's why for me, sometimes I freak myself out because I try to read this thing. I have all those systems in mind, but I'm like, man, but if I'm becoming a jerk off all the time, I'm just like smashing people with truth. Like, do I really get what the Bible is trying to say? Because Jesus says the whole point is for you to be loving. And not only that, but the second thing to consider is conversely, if you are struggling to love God or to love people, like you have a lot of broken relationships, for some reason God feels far away, What you need the most in your life is not a therapist, although therapy is awesome. It's not medicine. It's not even a community. But Jesus points to the Bible. You need the story of the Bible in your life. Those of you experiencing difficult seasons in your marriage where it's really hard to love your wife or your husband right now because, man, you've just been dealing with them for a long time. For those of you who are parents where you vowed, I will never repeat what my parents did to me, to my kids, and here you are doing the exact same thing because your kids drive you nuts. Those of you, you have to go to the office tomorrow morning and meet that coworker or that crazy boss. You have to deal with them all the time, and it's just so annoying. Those of you, you have a deep-seated hatred, and nobody knows it, but you just can't stand people of different races, of different sexes, of different gender. Those of you who you believe in God, but you struggle to really feel things for God because you know he's true, but you don't really have affection for him at all. Or those of you who love God, but you're not really sure if God loves you. What Jesus is trying to say is every narrative, every poem, every epistle, every part of this is meant to help you to grow in love in those ways. It was designed for that. That's the whole point of what this is. All the law and the prophets hang upon those commands. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us. And which kind of, you know, I think about this, I'm like, well, okay, if God wants me to, he wants me to be loving, to be like him, why a Bible? Like, I'd love it if an angel showed up every morning saying, hey man, this is how you do it. Or just zap my heart real quickly and make me lovable. Like, why does Jesus, and why did they, why the Bible And a very helpful answer I heard is because if you understand what love is, which is what God is trying to form us into, you can't rush it. Love is painfully slow. It is painfully slow. Ask any parent, ask any husband or wife, ask any long-term friends. There is no life hack. There is no shortcut of how to have love. Try grabbing coffee with someone after church today. Someone you just met. And during coffee, just say this line, will you be my best friend? Let's be best friends. It's weird. That takes time, bro. But you can't just do that. Or try meeting someone online for a date, and on that first date, letting them know, you know, I think we're going to get married. There will be no second date. That's kind of weird. Try pushing your kids, parents. Push them to be the best right now. Push them to get it right now. Tell them to hurry up right now. Get with the program and see how they feel about you. Because love doesn't work that way. Love is a steady, slow, deep pace that happens over time. And that's why the Bible, it constantly talks not about running with God, but what? Walking with him. 
John Mark Kilmer, I love the way he says, he says, quote, God walks slowly because he is love. If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. It is a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It is slow, yet it is Lord over all other speeds since it is the speed of love. Love is at the heart of all Jesus is trying to grow in the soil of your life, which is why day by day, little by little, we read this so that God could form us into the pace of love. And so if that's true, this is where whenever people ask me and they're reading their Bible, it's like, hey, you know the hardest part about reading my Bible is I don't get what it's saying. Like, what is it saying? And I totally empathize. And here's a very simple application for any passage you read. How is this passage teaching me to love God more or love people more? The text probably says more than that, but it's never less. It is never less. In fact, if you don't ask that question, you're not reading your Bible right. Because all the law and prophets hang upon loving God and loving people. So for example, let's go back to that Leviticus passage. What on earth is this tabernacle saying? And why should I care? Because I have work in a few hours. Like, what is going on here? And you're right, you don't have a tabernacle. But why is God telling them to build a tabernacle? Oh, that's the way you approach God. Huh, you have to be careful when you approach God. But I don't have to be careful because of Jesus. Oh, I have this access to God, and this is how I, I'm supposed to approach God that way. That's how you look at the passages. What is it saying about loving God? What is it saying about loving people? And that is the hermeneutic that is there that Jesus prescribes. And again, a lot more than that that the passage is saying, but never less. Can you imagine every day you read something, and the main point, or at least one of the, the driving points is it's telling you, it's forming you how to love God and love people better? You know what happens after a year, five years, ten years of you doing that? You will become not a person who knows Scripture more, memorizing, not a person who's able to spit it out and able to quote it all the time, even though those are all byproducts. The main thing that happens is you become more loving. You learn to love a little bit better that day. And that begs the last question. Well, why does that matter? Why should we care about this? And this leads to the last point. Why does God want to form us in love? To answer that question, let's look back at 2 Timothy one more time. Do you notice when Paul says, hey, the scriptures, they're there to teach, to instruct, to, to do all this, to make you complete. But he doesn't stop there, right? He goes on. Look at verse 17 one more time. That the man of God may be complete for what? Equipped for every good work. He wants to make you complete. He wants to make you into someone who loves God and loves people so you can be equipped to do what he calls good work. Why does Paul say this? Have you guys seen the movie Top Gun Maverick? If you haven't seen it, just know it is not just one of the best movies of this past year. It is one of the greatest movies of all time. When someone told me that, I said, you're crazy. You know how many movies are out there? That's such hype. And when I saw it, I was like, oh my goodness. This is one of the greatest movies of all time. And I have no problem hyping it up. You can't overhype it. It is amazing. This movie was 30 years in the making. And Tom Cruise, when he worked diligently with whoever were involved with the movies. And he knew when the movie script was done, he knew he had an epic story in his hand. He knew this movie was going to be crazy. So because of that, he made sure that he was involved in every aspect of the movie production, including especially in choosing the actors who would be involved in this movie. Didn't matter how big your name was as as an actor. Didn't matter what it was. You had to be the right fit 
for the production of Top Gun. And to make sure you were the right fit, you know what he made all the actors do who tried out for this movie? They all had to fly in real airplanes before the movie shot. They had to go on an airplane and fly in and do all these crazy things because the entire movie was about flying airplanes. So you have to get ready. If you want to be part of this, that's what you got to know and that's what you got to do. And what happened was because of that, the realism of the movie really showed and the story became super epic because all the actors, they were on the same page of this is what we're trying to do in this movie. And this is what God is doing too. God is writing an epic story where he's going to redeem this broken world and the primary way God's going to do it is through his love. The story of the Bible, it all begins at creation, where we meet that God, he is love, he creates humans in love, and what's really fascinating is the first time you see God and human beings together, you know what the first thing takes place after that? A wedding. Adam and Eve, the epitome of love, they get, they get married. What happens is Adam and Eve, they turn away from God's love, they turn away from each other, they love themselves, and so what do we see in the rest of the Old Testament? The Torah, where God's trying to teach us love. This is how you love. The Ten Commandments, this is how you love. All the prophets, this is how you love. And our biggest problem is we're not capable of loving God this way. We are not capable of loving others this way, no matter how much you teach us, God. And so what happens? God doesn't give up, but we see through Jesus Christ, God does not just teach us love, he gives us love. God gives us love because Jesus is the only one who's able to love God fully, love others as well. And he demonstrates this most especially at the cross to forgive us of the ways we failed in this. And he rises from the dead because of this. And now Jesus invites us to follow him. And he's going to teach us now how to love, but a little bit differently with the power of the Spirit. He's going to instruct us what love looks like. And what's interesting, at the very end, we see that there's a new heaven, a new earth that's going to come. But you know what's going to happen at that day? You see God and all of people come together and there's going to be a wedding. Oh, there's a wedding, and there's a wedding. Why? I like what author Frank Viola says. He says, quote, The Bible, it opens with the wedding, and it ends with the wedding. It opens with the marriage, and it ends with the marriage. Your Bible is essentially a love story. This is the story of God. He's redeeming this broken world through Jesus' love, and he's inviting us to join him But to participate in this good work, as Paul talks about it, he has to equip you to be loving. You have to know how to love. Because it's through the love of Christ and the love of Christ in all of us that we are able to participate in this mission that God's trying to do. And what's really fascinating is as you do this, you all of a sudden discover this weird thing that Jesus keeps saying, which is, follow me and you'll find life. Follow me and you're going to find the reason why you're here. There's a book that I keep talking about. It it literally changed the way I view my adult life. It's called The Second Mountain by David Brooks. Some of you might have heard of it. Um, But David Brooks, he gives an interesting argument where he says, you know, most people, they begin their adult life trying to reach like these normal goals that are out there that all of us can relate to. Like everybody here, we all want to be successful. Nobody wants a job that's kind of blah. Like we want to be, I mean, we have a job that's blah. We want to be successful at it. All of us, we want to be well thought of, where we want people to think highly of ourselves. 
a lot of us, we want to get invited to the right social circles, not just that circle, but the great circle, social circles that are out there. All of us, we're pursuing happiness. And so what does that look like? We just want stuff like a nice home. We want a nice family. We want nice vacations, good food, good friends. That's just kind of what we want. And a lot of us, because we don't have those things, we feel like that's what's missing in my life, and that's why life is so hard. But talk to people who have all those things. Talk to the people who eat good food regularly, who have a family, who have a nice home. And what Brooks tells us is when you meet people like that, you realize that they're, they're happy and yet they're not satisfied. It's kind of weird. And, you talk, and this usually happens around like your mid-30s because your 20s, you're trying to just like get your career, you're trying to meet somebody, but talk to a person who's about 32, 35 years old and they, all of a sudden they start talking like, hmm, I want to change careers. Hmm, I'm not sure if I should keep dating. Maybe we should get married or maybe I should break up. Hmm, it's time to buy a home. Like, for some reason around that time, something begins to take place. And so, because what we think is happening is, I probably chose the wrong career, or I probably chose, like, the wrong dating lifestyle, or maybe I'm in the wrong, you know, neighborhood, I should move out of the country. And we kind of think like that. And what Brooks says is that if you do that, you think that's what's going on, but in reality, there's something else. And he says what's happening is you've climbed what he describes as the first mountain. There's a mountain that he calls the first mountain, you have, you're climbing it, you're 20s, you spent your whole life climbing it, you've reached the summit now because you got it all, and you find it kind of, meh, it's okay. And that entire first mountain, you know what's all about the foundation? It's about your ego. You want to secure your ego. You want to make sure you're okay. And you're striving after that. And again, some of you, it takes all your life to even feel that. Where for a lot of you, you have all that, and yet for some reason, you're not that happy. And so we think, well, what I gotta do again? New job, new career, and what Brooks says, that's the biggest mistake you could ever do, because all you're doing is you're climbing the mountain all over again, that first mountain. It's the same mountain. It's gonna be leading to the same result. And so what you gotta do, Brooks says, is you gotta stop climbing that first mountain, and he describes it as the second mountain. There's a second mountain that awaits you that you need to travel. And while the first mountain is all about ego and finding yourself, the second mountain is all about love and losing yourself. And until you're willing to go to that mountain, you will never understand what this thing called joy is. You may know happiness, but joy is something that's different, where it's not just about receiving, but you understand that giving is greater than receiving, where sacrifice is greater than comfort, where service is greater than security, it's this weird, ironic thing where you are losing yourself and you find something called joy that has been eluding your whole life. Brooks, he says it like this, quote, happiness comes from accomplishments. Joy comes from offering gifts. Happiness fades. We get used to the things that used to make us happy. Joy doesn't fade. People who are on the second mountain have been transformed. The outpouring of love have become a steady force. And some of you, you kind of know what Brooks is talking about. You remember those weekends when you used to serve at church? And it was like the craziest weekends because all these crazy kids, whether it be like a VBS thing or a summer camp thing, and you're so tired because you do so much for these ungrateful kids. But all of a sudden, you have that last bonfire night. And you see all the kids just so happy. And you're just standing there, you go, and you just feel something really strange. We're like, I didn't get anything out of this, and yet what is this feeling that I have? You gave yourself to something. Or parents. We know that feeling when you have a newborn child. 
Not when they're seven, that, it's too late then, but earlier, when they're young, right? When they're first born, you look at them, you go, oh my gosh, like I will do anything for this child who I just met. What's going on there? Or again, if you meet people who have uh, siblings or children with special needs, that looks like a really hard life. But you meet those people, the most beautiful people, the most grateful people, the most deep people, not because they're getting everything they want from that person, but they're just giving themselves. They're learning, in other words, how to love. The reason why that happens is because when you experience love like this, you have tapped into what the universe was designed to be, which is love, because God is love. That's what's happening. Now, what does all this have to do with our Bibles? How is this connected? Here's how. When you read this, you're seeing life on the second mountain. This Bible is all about the second mountain. The first mountain, if that's your life right now, dude, you could go, go on Reddit. Watch YouTube. There's plenty of life hacks that could help you climb that first mountain. But if you're interested in that second mountain, not just knowing about it, but how do I grow in that? How do I get there? This is what it's for. Because every time you read this, you're reminded that your life on that Monday morning, it's more than that job that you have that you're walking into. It's more than that interview that you're banking on to give you success. It's more upon that mortgage and the, the home that you're trying to buy. It's more about the vacation that you're waiting for. Life is more than the first mountain. There's a greater mountain that God is inviting you to. There's a greater joy that awaits you, and he wants to journey with you by the power of his spirit. And that begins... Every Monday morning at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., college students, 12 p.m., whatever it might be, open your Bibles and look at that second mountain. See how to get there. See how you can experience it. And so to conclude, here's our practice that I want to exhort us to. You have a choice every single day to allow this to form you if you want it to or not. And just know, if this is not forming you, something else will be forming you. Social media, the news, your friends, your coworkers. And all you need to do for that to form you is just wake up. Do your normal thing. Don't put any thought, just keep going, and you'll be formed. You'll be formed by something. But what happens is keep doing that, and you'll find glimpses of happiness, but yet joy, for some reason, it's hard to relate to. But as followers of Jesus, what we're saying is we're going against the stream. Where this is my one stand. Well, you know, yeah, I, that's, I can't escape this, but I'm going to stand. I'm going to look at that second mountain for a bit. I'm going to be equipped for this for a bit. I want it to be formed in this way. This is what I need in my life. This is what we're inviting us to do. This is what the scriptures are meant to do. And so in light of that, as I invite the praise team up, can I just invite us to take a moment to pause and to be still? And again, whatever stands out in your life, whatever the way the Spirit might be moving, whether it be, you know, I have not been reading my Bible the way I'm supposed to because I read it all the time, and yet, yeah, it's pretty dry. I'm, not, I'm becoming worse than, and even more judgmental. Or for some of us, it's like, you know, I haven't been reading this at all, and that's why maybe my work has consumed me far more than it can because that first mountain, that's my life. I have no idea what the second mountain is that you're describing Whatever it is that you feel the Spirit prompting, let's take a moment to pause, maybe even just being still with God, or even dialoguing with God, asking him 
to help us to really understand and seek and desire what the story of Scripture is trying to tell us. A story of love that's meant to form us. A story of how we're supposed to practice love in the way that God calls us to practice it. And in that we find life. So wherever you're, you're at, can we take a moment to pause and be still and come before the Lord? And then afterwards, I'll close us all together in prayer. So let's pray.